When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. This episode of the Australian Finance Podcast is actually a replay of an educational episode that Drew Meredith, the financial advisor you may know quite well, and myself recorded as part of the Australian Investors Podcast Summer Series. If you haven't already listened to the Australian Investors Podcast, that's okay. But just know if you want to level up and tackle some of those deeper topics of investing and finance, you can tune into the Investors Podcast. It goes live three times a week. In this episode, Drew and I talk about managed funds. Now, you may know managed funds from TV shows or movies, or maybe you know that a managed fund is very similar to an ETF. One of the key differences being that most managed funds are what we call actively managed, and most managed funds are not available in an ETF wrapper. But there are so many similarities between managed funds, both from a legal perspective and from an investor's perspective, that means they're very similar, and so you should probably know a little bit about them. A special note is that this podcast was recorded over Christmas uh, 2022-2023, and Drew and I have a bit of fun with these kind of shorter, punchier episodes. If you like it, or if you have more questions about managed funds, aka mutual funds in the United States, please send us a question or send us your feedback via the link in your podcast player. The link that you need says, ask a question. You can click that and select the Australian Investors Podcast if you want Drew and I to answer a question, or select the Australian Finance Podcast if you would like it answered here on the Australian Finance Podcast series. Without further ado, here's Drew and I talking about managed funds 
over on the Australian Investors Podcast, but here as part of the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Drew Meredith, welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, mate. It's good to be here. Today, we're doing everything you need to know about managed funds. Obviously, we do this as quick as we can. When we say everything you need to know in 20 minutes or so, uh, there will be some links to resources that you can use. We will be covering index funds separately. We will be covering ETFs separately. So this is purely us talking about managed funds, aka mutual front funds, funds if you're yes. in the United States. Or USITs funds. USITs if you're in Europe, which just means retail managed fund. Exactly. Um, so there's so many different, uh, I guess, names for it. But here in Australia, we call them managed funds. What is a managed fund, Drew? Good question. I've uh, <laughs> listening to a podcast. It must have been last year during one of the lockdowns. Yeah, uh, they'd actually talked about managed funds versus ETFs. ETFs are incredibly popular. They're getting a lot of inflows at the moment. And someone put it simply saying that managed funds are for old people <laughs> and investment bankers. Uh, ETFs are for young people. I mean, you you'd pick that up whenever you're on this uh, podcast. Whenever you're meeting people as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's just an old. Not an old structure. It's just a- The incumbent structure. The incumbent, yeah. It's been essentially when you buy a managed fund, you're buying a trust or a unit trust. So if you think about a superannuation fund itself, whether that's a SMSF or something similar, it's a trust. Uh, and what, what you have the ability to do is to pull assets. So mm. multiple people investing into this unit trust or for other people, it'd be a family trust that they use and pull those assets to then hold a diversified portfolio of assets. Mm-hmm. of other assets. So, in legal jargon in Australia, just to throw it even more, com- uh, com- make it more convoluted, we call them managed investment schemes. Yes, which and- sounds, as soon as you put scheme yeah, into Yeah, it sounds dodgy. Immediately dodgy. So, that's otherwise known as an MIS. Yeah. So, let's just keep the, let's keep the like, uh, uh, just jargon rolling out of this episode. <laughs> that's an even better one, yeah. Yeah. But basically, it's people's money pulled together, managed by someone else. Exactly. Yeah. And the trust being a key word there, yep. that you're- Someone else is the trustee yep. of your investments and they're making decisions on your behalf. Yeah, but you always. legally own part of whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. So the trust, anyone could set up a trust in Australia, right? Yeah, and, and we, we do them all the time. Yeah, and you can have a trust just to hold a farm, can hold a property, can hold a business, can hold, in this case, investment assets. Yeah. And someone else manages it. There's a lot of regulation around this in Australia. Um, can you maybe just quickly touch on the difference between wholesale managed fund and retail, just at a very high level, what that means. Yeah, so wholesale or otherwise known as sophisticated within Australia is a managed fund that is only allowed to be invested into by what you'd call authorised or approved investors. Yep. So in the case of wholesale, you have to have in excess of $2.5 million in investable assets, or I think it still includes your home, but it's being reviewed at the moment, or have an income of above $250,000. For two consecutive years, I believe. In, in, I think, two of the last three years. Yeah, right. So, it's okay. what that's saying, generally, when you're looking at a wholesale managed fund, it would be more uh, less liquid types of investments or higher risk. So, a wholesale managed fund might be investing into venture capital or individual property, like buying a, an individual commercial property. A retail managed fund is the complete opposite. Uh, so, open to everyone to invest into. You just pull out an application form, transfer your money to the in, to the trust itself, yep. and it's invested on your behalf, no restrictions. But there is a lot more red tape and a lot more the, the fund manager has to do 
to get a retail fund into the market, right? Yeah, is a uh, registration with ASIC. So every man- every unit trust, every managed fund needs to be registered with ASIC. And in the case of retail managed funds, all the product they have to have a product disclosure statement. PDS. Which, yep. Yeah, anytime you see an advisor or even a, a manager presenting, they'll tell you to look at their PDS. Yep. Uh, they even the PDSs have to be lodged with ASIC as soon as these funds are launched and updated whenever changes are made at the same time. It's incredibly, for us in the finance industry, it's incredibly onerous if you do run one of these things, how like the rules around it, there's so much red tape, which is fair enough, yep. but especially so for retail funds. And that's why the costs can be high. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in a wholesale fund, you can have all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Like five of us just get, could get together if we're all sophisticated and we could just be like, hey, we're going to start this wholesale fund exactly. um, and we're just going to chuck some money and see what happens. Mayfair Platinum would probably be a yeah, one exactly. that everyone doesn't like to talk about anymore. Yep. But essentially, they were enticing wholesale investors to invest into what was a poorly or not really licensed investment yep. that, w- that went and bought Dunk Island and ultimately failed. Yep. Had a lot of high-risk investments and not a lot of disclosure, which is exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So it takes a, it, it actually costs a lot of money to set up a legitimate one of these in Australia now. Um, but they're, you know, they are a mainstay. They are the yeah. thing that people invest in. Um, the key difference, if you're wondering, well, okay, you're talking about this managed fund, sounds a lot like an ETF. Um, it is, except the difference is that you don't buy these through your brokerage account. They're not on the exchange. Yeah. They're the, unitized in the same way. Exactly the same way behind the scenes, really. Um, it's just how you get in and out of them. So you normally fill out a piece of paper and you submit it, get your ID sorted, submit that, and then you put the money in. We love those. Yeah, put the money in. <laughs> put the money in. Put the money in. <laughs> we love, we'll have those uh, application forms. So there's yeah two ways. It'd be download a product disclosure statement. Some you can only invest through an advisor. Most you can invest directly. Yep. Uh, or a lot of the time you can also buy them through a platform. So that could be like Hub24 or Premium. Where the ID is uh, already done, all that stuff. Like the legal stuff's already done, so you just click a button to exactly. say, I want to put this money in here. Yep. Yep. Because the, the fund itself has an obligation to prove who you are, right? That's why there's all the paperwork. Everything in finance, KYC, know your client. Yep. yep. Exactly. So you can have active strategies inside a managed fund or passive strategies. So you could have like an index fund inside a managed fund. And you could have uh, an active fund manager picking stocks or individual bonds or, like you said, venture capital. You can have basically anything inside one of these things because it's just a holding structure, right? Exactly. Nearly unlimited. Yep. I mean, this is, from memory, this is where Vanguard started. Yeah, mutual sure. funds. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the first ETF wasn't actually launched by, um, the first index fund wasn't launched by Vanguard. And the first ETF was not launched by Vanguard. Yeah. So uh, it's really interesting, but they are kind of champion championing index funds available inside ETFs. But they all started here as a managed fund. Yeah. Really, the only difference is a lot of people, like chances are you listening to this, just like me, you come across one of these things, you're like, what? I have to fill out like how much? <laughs> Why can't and I just use like Comsec or Selfwell or my broker? And they're you know? all different. That's it. That's the thing. Every application form is different. Some of it's digital, some of it's paper-based. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Wet signatures. Yeah. Have you ever had to do a wet signature lately? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't printed anything in a long time. When they say wet signatures, it means, yeah. Yeah. No one form world. here yeah. or whatever it's called. Um, so the, the, the reality is there are multiple different ways. The PDS is a great place to start if it's a retail managed fund, but there's yeah. a thing called an IM for wholesale funds as well. Yes. So, more, it's more like a legal agreement or yeah. a, you know, broadly putting forward why they think you should invest into this this asset class or whatever they're, whatever they're issuing. Yeah. So, an IM is an infor- information memorandum. memorandum. Yeah. 
the general gist, as far as I could tell, Drew, is that if you invest in a wholesale fund, there may be less protection for you versus if you invest in a retail fund. Definitely. Yeah. And there's a, there you can also invest in unregulated wholesale funds, which is no protection. No protection. So, yeah. like an offshore account kind of thing or something. Yeah, or you can have domestic, there's, there's some exemptions that allow people to go into unregistered uh, managed funds in Australia. Yeah, right. Uh, as long as they're not raising too much capital. Oh, that's that like um, thing where they're like uh, a fund, but they have less than $20 million at, or they don't solicit funds or anything like that. Like, they're allowed to advertise the fund, but exactly. it can exist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that Which before. is usually the opposite, because if you know about it, it's being advertised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if they're appearing, yeah, you know what's going on. But that's essentially zero protection. A wholesale managed fund could just be a wholesale class of a retail fund. So there would be mm. protections. It's just- more su- you know it's more suited to higher balances yeah but an exempt one is is where you lose pretty much everything i don't want to get too far into the weeds today because this would just completely bore the crap out of people <laughs> but basically what drew just said there is uh, when you have a fund and everyone puts their money in typically you're all responsible like you all have a share of what's ever inside it but you just mentioned classes yeah so this is where you can have one fund ladies and gentlemen and there are different strategies inside it so for example there might be a growth, there might be a defensive option, and they might be different. They might have the same investments, but in different proportions. So then your taxable situation is a bit different. I think you lost me. Okay. And then the final thing is, which you mentioned there, which is very common. So it's like always been the case like, hey, why doesn't everyone do ETS from the beginning? And I'll tell you why. It's because there's a lot of incentives around managed funds. Yeah. If you're a financial advisor, you can go to a fund manager and say, hey, Mr. Fund Manager or Mrs. Fund Manager, I see that you're charging 1% for that fund. Can you do it for us for half of that? Yeah. And you can't do that with an ETF because it's just all the same thing. Exactly. So what they do is they say, well, we'll do one part of it's a wholesale fund and the other part of it's retail access. So then you have different classes and it can get quite complicated in the legal jargon. But you just need to know that even inside a fund, there can be different streams, if you like. Um, They get quite complicated from a legal perspective, but that's about it. That's what we do on a daily basis. So anytime we're investing, we use funds and ETFs. And anytime we're investing in a fund, we'll we'll seek a discount to the management fee. But you guys can do that. For anyone, like unless you had a lot of money listening to this, like for people like me, I just have to like cop it. Whatever's on the the ticket price is what I have to pay. But there are certain instances like... For example, if Australian Super was to approach a fund manager, they'd be like, I see you're doing it for 1%. We'll do it, do it for two basis points or 0.02. <laughs> and the fund manager would be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll take the mil. money. Yeah, I'll take the money. Um, and so, needless to say, like managed funds are very well established. We're talking um, an industry that's in the trillions of dollars around the world. Um and even though people say like ETFs are better, like ETFs are for the young people, as you would say, Drew, yep. really behind the scenes, they're exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's just the way you get in and out of them. That's I think changed. The, historically, the price difference, so because ETFs mm. are newer, they're lower cost more yep. broadly um, because managed funds are, are, legal, are more, probably more complex legal yep. entities. You all you generally see the managed fund fee being higher than the ETF fee. Yeah. Um, and then, histor- I mean, we've always liked managed funds. Essentially, because when you go to redeem them, you know when you want to get get your money back, it's priced every day at the end of the day. Yeah, you don't have to rely on volume, which is not really an issue as much in ETFs anymore. But the price doesn't mm. fluctuate during the day; it's one price set every day, and that's what you get when you send your form in. But you do have the buy sell spread, yes, which tries to compensate for that. So this is if you're new to this, what that means is like you might see on some of the funds marketing, you might say there's a buy sell spread of zero point three or like zero point three percent, which basically means that there's a little bit of money that goes 
either side of this. Um, and that is basically to cover brokerage and those types of things. Um, Drew, another difference, which you just were alluding to, is kind of like what you see is what you get when it comes to ETS versus managed funds. Yeah. So can you explain that? What you see, ETS versus managed funds? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you're saying like, is basically... <laughs> he's, he's winking at me right now. So basically, what you see inside an ETF, it has to be disclosed. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I mean, there's this. I, had the, I was actually just writing that down as my notes before, and there's this concern that managed funds aren't as transparent. Yeah. Uh, which is partially true and partially untrue. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yes, if you list on the ASX, you have to disclose every single holding down. Yep. If you go on the, the iShares website, you can see that they hold twenty two thousand dollars in cash, whatever it ha- whatever it happens to be. When you go to a managed fund. Uh, you're generally only going to see the top 10. They'll give you a monthly update. You'll see the top 10. As an advisor, we'll ask for that entire portfolio, but they'll generally only give that to us Mm. with a delay. could be a 30 to 60-day delay. We can also see what all their individual holdings are, but that's not publicly available. I think Morningstar actually came out uh, every year. I think it's every year for the last five years Mm. saying that Australia's uh, managed fund disclosures are among the worst in the world. Yeah, right. So there you go. So you basically have to just have to wait for whatever the fund is doing. Yeah. That's what we call window dressing, which exactly. happens at the end of the month. So because they know they have to report it at the end of the month, what they'll do is they'll quickly rearrange their portfolio, <laughs> buy and sell to get something out of the top 10 or into the top 10. It could be 0.1%, yeah, yeah, to get it out of the top 10 so they don't, have to re- they don't have to show you what's in there. Yeah. So then they'll, and this is why at the end of the month, over my career, I've probably seen this happen a handful of times. There's like a curious amount of trading that takes place right at the end of the quarter or end of the month. Yeah. And that's the buyers, uh, the fund managers being buyers or sellers of particular assets just to window dress. And that's, ba- that's basically or it. Or lock in some profits. Or- yeah. And we are being very, no fundies ever going to appear on the show again <laughs> <laughs> because they're going to think, what the heck are these guys talking about? They're giving away all our secrets. Um, we're, One of the big it. ones that- uh, uh, we probably see there's been, always been two or three concerns when we recommend a managed fund. Mm-hmm. Transparency is one, but yeah. we, we can always explain that by saying we can see every holding in the portfolio. Liquidity is yeah. a big one. There's this concept or this there's this misconception that because it's in a fund structure, it's less liquid than an ETF. And the, there's, the answer is simple, that the fund is as liquid as what it invests into. Yeah. If you're holding a managed fund that invests into high, you know, blue chip ASX shares, you get your money back T plus two like you would in here if you sold anything else. Mm-hmm. If it's invested into overseas shares, it takes a few extra days for the money to come back from overseas, but it can easily be sold. And you know your your value in that fund is constantly updated based on the performance of the underlying stocks. Yep. Um, another thing that probably doesn't get enough, I don't think gets enough coverage in Australia is this idea of after-tax returns. Uh, because- the difference between a company or a listed investment company and a trust is that you have passed through uh, yeah. of all gains and all income and all foreign income and all that sort of stuff. And the basic idea is this. If your fund manager is turning over the portfolio, i.e. buying and selling, you're going to have a lot of taxes crystallize, yeah. which then inevitably get passed back to you. And so as an industry, they, they, they tend to argue that, well, everyone's tax, uh, you know, tax rate's different. How do we adjust for this? How do we adjust for that? Like holding periods of difference, too complex to do reporting. Yeah. But some funds are now coming out and at least once a year saying, this was our expect, this was our historical annual turnover. Yeah. So it might be like 5%, which is good. But some, many funds, I think most active funds are up like 50, 100% plus, meaning they're turning over the portfolio a lot, which even though it looks like they're 
getting good returns can result in a lot of tax slippage. And after-tax returns very different to yeah. the headline return. Exactly. So you want to be, if you're a high income earner and you have a high tax rate, you want to be positioning in a fund, all else being equal, one that has low turnover, which is hard to get your hand handle on. But like a lot of the big diversified funds, like the index funds in particular I'm talking about, have low turnover because they have so many positions they don't need to turn it over all the time. Yeah. But some of the more concentrated funds with shorter term time horizons, so like hedge funds, for example, they tend to turn over portfolios, use derivatives which aren't very tax effective or cost effective and so on. Yeah. Um, are you able, I'm going to put you on the spot here, are you able <laughs> just to really quickly, just people hear of this word hedge fund and they think banker, big short, <laughs> Expensive. Like, expensive. Like what is a hedge fund at the end of the day? A hedge fund is essentially any managed fund that does invest into non-traditional assets or a non-traditional way. So if you think traditional assets- so That's a big sh- bucket. Like that's a big yeah. range of things exactly. that it could be. Yeah. I think if you think traditional assets, shares and bonds. Yep. If you then add the ability to short shares, so, so you're using- down. Yeah, whether you're using options or you're borrowing the stock and shorting it, uh, whether you're investing into futures contracts, so you're trying to predict where interest rates are going to go, then as soon as you introduce those non-traditional asset classes, I believe it just has to be now called a hedge fund or something completely different yep. to, to identify that risk. And they are also in what looks like an ETF wrapper. If you look at the, the ASX has forced Australian funds that do this to not be called ETFs. They can't say that they're an ETF. They have to be a hedge Hedge. fund. Um, You'll see that in their naming convention. Munro would be one, I think. Yeah, probably because they- Did they use Longshore? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, they would be an example. They can't call them- Well, they're actively managed as well. But um, I mean, there are multiple different things. And this is where it gets a little bit more confusing. You can have a multi-asset fund, which is not necessarily a hedge fund, even though some people might say, oh, it's a hedge fund. It's not really. A multi-asset fund is like Drew was just suggesting- um, they've got some bonds, they've got some shares, they might have some cash, maybe even some gold. It's a, that's a multi-asset fund or something like that. A balance fund. Yeah, a balance fund. Um, doesn't necessarily make it a hedge fund. I think people just associate hedge funds with like risk taking, yeah. which yes, definitely they can be, but they can also be quite low risk. Like They can be pretty boring things that just get caught up in this label of hedge fund. I think it's the challenge of pigeonholing from a regulator that has so many products and no, they have to do something. You know, ASIC does so much in the financial service industry. How do they? How do they make it easy yeah. for consumers to be like, oh, that's different? It's different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are so many different flavors. We just don't want you to get confused and think that a managed fund is different to an index fund. The managed fund is just like the means that it's not on the ASX. Basically, you can't buy and sell in your brokerage account, so it's not an ETF. But inside of it, can have anything. It yeah. could be an index fund. That's where Vanguard started, and they still operate today. Yeah, exactly. So, I had uh, one big thing was about timing. Timing actually matters with funds and ETFs. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest drawbacks that people talk about is what you're saying, the pass-through mechanism. So you could invest True. into a managed fund on the 1st of June. If that fund's had a great year, you could get a 10% distribution of capital that'll be capital gains within 30 days. At the end of the month. It's not prorated based on how long you invest. As a unit holder, you're entitled, same as yeah. uh, same as an ASX listed share, you're entitled to that the whole of that distribution. Same for ETF, same for funds. So we're always wary investing into these managed funds from around the 15th of June until the 1st of July because you don't want to convert capital to capital gains yeah. Yeah. in such a short period of time. Some of those the Reddit forums, 
light up when on July 1st because everyone's like, holy heck, my fund is down 10%. What is going on? Apocalypse. But it's not. It's just because you have to wait to get the distribution of all that capital and all the stuff that we we're just talking about. Two if weeks ever, to, for cash usually. Yeah, if you have a high turnover fund, you're going to get more of that tax and there's going to be more jarring movements in prices. And it's not, not just young investors. We still have long-term clients that call us when- yeah. you know, By golly, look at this. Yeah, it's yeah. fallen 12%. Why is this down 12%? Yeah. You'll get the cash soon. Yeah, it's fair <laughs> enough. It's fair enough. So, I mean, there, there there's a lot to talk about with uh, managed funds. Um, I'm surprised we got through 20 minutes. I will maybe just close out with one final thing just on that point, is when we were, I was a researcher studying managed funds inside and out, one of the things we would ask them is, how, like, how many institutional clients do you have? Because this is to your point, Drew. If you have one big investor that's inside a fund and they decide to sell, that can have implications for the rest of the investors. Yep. Forces tax losses or gains, but it can also have liquidity issues. So it can basically imagine that you had a managed fund and it's a small cap fund. So it invests in smaller companies that can't be easily bought or sold. And imagine one of those investors is $50 million of that fund and they yep. decide to sell out. You, they, they have to get their money. So what do the fundy do? Well, he's like, whoa, I just have to sell anything. Exactly. And they sell at a loss, they sell down, they push the market down. And that has implications for everyone else in the fund. Well, they usually sell the most liquid holdings first. That's and it. And it's really relevant. Normally the biggest winners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then as the remaining investor, you're left with the rest. Yeah, whatever usually else. Illiquid. But this is definitely relevant when it's direct property Yeah. and when it's smaller companies. So ASX, micro caps, small caps, yeah. where you, can, you end up selling the wrong assets. And you know, in early 2023, you saw this a few times where- a couple of big property managers were, were receiving redemptions and they were forced to sell yeah, two or three shopping center assets. Playing as we record this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just for those playing along at home, generally most funds would want you to invest about $20,000 minimum. Up to $250,000 is quite common for uh, more sophisticated funds. But even retail funds can have minimums like that. If you don't have the exact amount to invest in one of these funds, you can read the PDS, get a phone number, give them a call and see if they'll adjust it down because that's actually at the discretion, even though they might say there's a minimum, it's actually at the discretion of the fund manager. So, um, Drew, I mean, we didn't think we'd get through four minutes <laughs> talking about managed funds. We got through 21 minutes. Uh, if you're just tuning into the Australian Investors Podcast, these are our shorter form episodes. We'll be back with more of these episodes in the future. Um, be sure to send us an email or ask us a question on any of the RASC websites. It's ask a question in the menu. Uh, just follow the prompts for the Australian Investors Podcast and we can answer your questions. You can find more about me and what we do at RASC at RASC.com.au. And Drew Meredith right here is a qualified financial planner um, with a lot of experience. You can find out more about Drew by following the link in the show notes. There's a link there to Waddle Partners Financial Planning as well. Drew, thanks for joining me. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. 
If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.